Welcome to Fourth Times the Charm, the only podcast where every week is a brand new concept. I'm your producer, Ben, alongside your director, Matt, and we are here to talk <laughs> about cubes. We're alive. We're in a fourth we're alive. dimension. We're, we're not just talking about cubes. We're talking about a cube that's been squared, which evidently means a four-dimensional cube, we're which not, I don't though. think we're how not. that means. We're talking about a cube inside a time cube. Well, no, it's a cube within a cube. It's because it's a cube that has a has a fourth dimensional space where two parallel dimensions, two cubes existing in parallel space are overlaid in a theoretical time zone, thus creating a shifting maneuvering cube that also contains a fourth dimension. Is there only one cube in hypercube, Matt? They're in one cube, but that cube that they're in is two cubes overlapping between different parallel dimensions, which allows a fourth dimension of time to exist inside of the cube. And that's what you're going to be listening to for the next 45 <laughs> minutes. Um, Matt, what, yes, what's, what's going on with you, pal, before we head into uh, Hopperkalb? I'm living and thriving, getting ready for the mid-year musical roundup, which will be coming in June. Um, one, I, I did want to quickly shout out a record I found very recently, um, that I endeavor all of our musical fans and non-musical fans to go and seek out. Cause this is a, I wouldn't call this a, this is a non-standard musical, uh, recommendation from me. Cause it's not necessarily metal. Uh, it's dark in tone. Um, but very important. It is the new album from the performer known as gold. Uh, and for your own posterity out there, it's G-G-G-O-L-D-D-D. So, gold. Um, and the album is called This Shame Should Not Be Mine. Um, it's one of the most impactful, heavy, and intense albums I've heard this year. Uh, for those who have been a fan of us for a while, I've, I've spoken quite heavily about the album um uh when we die will we get better by svalvard uh which is another album that isn't necessarily easy to listen to when it comes to the emotional content of the piece but the performance is stunning this is a beautiful listing dark wave album that uses kind of post-rock and atmospheric sounds that create this like washy kind of like floating in a water of sadness kind of mood uh that's genuinely genuinely um, captivating and stunning um, you'll hear ben's opinion of it when the mid-year round he comes up as a little bit of a spoiler uh, but just to put sure my will. just Please to put, give me more time to listen to these albums this time i'm Wait. trying i i gave nick and kyle a one month warning um to hope to give them time to actually have i already have my top five um so i can give i can what give you, you my get top something five. else you like in in the in between i that's the hard part well this album um firmly plant has planted itself as my album of the year so far so if if that's a set if you have enjoyed any of my musical opinions or have agreed with me at all this is an important album in my opinion and it deals with a very important theme which is the uh the the feminine the the female or the victim's experience after after a rape or sexual assault um and the shame should not be hers. 
So that is uh, This Shame Should Not Be Mine. It's been something I, I saw this week. I also saw uh, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which on a completely opposite end of emotional intensity uh, is the new Nick Cage movie, and it is a wild, fun ride. I highly recommend you go and check it out. It's captivating, high-energy, fast-paced. Um, really kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat, makes you giggle, makes your belly laugh, while also making you kind of give one of those like, that was a good one. It's really a that was a good one kind of movie the whole way through. Uh, but if you're a fan of Nick Cage or a fan of Hollywood in general, I highly recommend you go and check if out you're the unbearable weight of Hollywood of... in general. What does that even mean, Matt? The the culture and the world of Hollywood, like the you know, like if you saw La La Land and you loved how much they talk about the the culture you like people jacking themselves off yeah kind of yeah and dealing with and like the lampooning of tradition of modern hollywood culture um it captures that in a really fun kind of quick way um yeah but like the if they also the- participate in the culture isn't it doesn't that take something away from it what do you what do you mean expand on that notion i, I mean i haven't seen the movie you know mm-hmm. i I, don't, I, don't, I barely know what it's about but one of the things that always bothers me about films, which are like, look how ridiculous Hollywood is, is that all the people who make those movies participate in the exact same shit. So it sort of feels a little, not snake bit is the word, but, uh, or even bad faith, but just obnoxious. It, it is a little bit. Uh, I think, I think your, uh, level of, of annoyance is, increased by your proximity to that shitty culture uh but the movie doesn't try to i see what you mean i think i think movies that try to go like above and to glorify it or to like just show the gritty nastiness of it this movie just kind of puts it there and it's like yeah this is how it is um which is just kind of using it as a cultural tool because the movie really is about not nicholas cage but the parasocial version of nick nick cage that everyone has made for themselves and so their interaction with hollywood itself is reminiscent of that same thing to be fair i cannot imagine that the real nicholas cage would be more engaging than the parasocial nick cage that the public has drummed up for him i think well it definitely is because watching the interviews he's done for this movie and then going to see this movie you can really tell how like the real Nick Cage now is so quiet and just kind of very serious and very artsy and very goth and very like, hmm. I think he always was. He was, but I think when he was younger, he was more exuberant and arrogant and more like, ah, um, when he was in public. But now even his public performance of himself when he's not in a movie is like very much more serious. And I think you're right. He always was just like an art nerd. He is like one of those deeply. He's like uh, Willem Dafoe, like when you yeah, hear Willem Dafoe talk just, about acting, it's like it's a craft, it's an art, it's a yeah, very serious. The, the diff, the difference is that Nicolas Cage is not a particularly great actor. Oh, how dare you? Still, how? But, he, but no, that's that's what's funny about Nicolas Cage is no. he's not really a good actor i completely but he disagree still comes across like he's method acting i i i i firm so it's disagree like he's you. a you you know who he is nicholas cage is a real life version of bottom from a midsummer night's dream no because no nick i i i have to disagree nick cage is an actual true actor i think he is 
I think he is more of a quality actor and performer than anyone gives him credit for because of the way he acts, because of his methodology. And it makes him seem like more of a joke than he really is. But if you watch his filmography throughout time, the amount of dedication he gives to those performances, I think are true, truly high quality performances. Like his performance in Pig, you can't fake that. You can't just be like, I'm going to be myself on screen. No, it's like that is acting. That is true, captivating performance compared to like an Alexander Skarsgård or a, like, I don't think he's an Adam Driver, who I think is like one of the best modern young actors, but he to me I, I i have to i have to come down and put the hammer down and disagree I'm not, with him. i'm not saying he's necessarily a truly bad actor i'm saying that he's like he's on average like a seven out of ten actor who can be a nine out of ten actor but i think i think he, he thinks he's a he's an 11 out of 10 actor see i don't think he thinks that i think he doesn't care i think he just wants to do the thing he only no, evaluates you can tell himself. when he doesn't care well, well i think you can tell when he doesn't care when he's performing but what i'm saying is i don't think nick cage evaluates himself as a good or a bad actor he just sees himself as an actor i mean sure like i don't i, I don't I, think he okay. like drums himself up and is like i am this like incredible performer i think he just likes doing movies and he thinks he does a decent job at it he him and robert pattinson i think are the same actor that's probably the only time in history the two of them will be compared together but i don't hate the comparison like watching interviews watching how they perceive their own work i see they're very very similar performers um like interpersonally speaking neat <laughs> Man, sorry I, I can um, i can tell I'll, you're I'll answering emails I I, I I i think i think nick cage is fine you oh. know i love that man i think he's a tremendous performer i think i think even his bad movies he's he's a better actor than the movies he's in deserves and then the rest of the movies look worse because of how committed he is to his performance it's like in cats in cats ian uh ian mckellen i yeah, or no, Patrick Stewart was in, was in the most recent Cats movie. And he was the only person in the entire movie who actually dedicated himself to being in the Cats movie. Where everyone else was just being fucking weird. And, like, hit, the time that he is in the movie is, like, some of the worst part of the movie. Because his performance is so good, everything around him systematically turns to even bigger shit. Well, I, I mean, Patrick Stewart is is a level above anybody i mean yeah he 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 is he's in the pinnacle of sir patrick stewart yes he like like a willem dafoe or a adam driver or a matt damon on a good day um are are like robin williams in a serious film are some of the most captivating and jaw-dropping performers in modern history like a florence Pugh or meryl streep you know these actors and actresses who can truly and utterly captivate and disappear into their roles those are some of the most incredible actors in the world and i don't think i wouldn't put like nick cage in that realm either but he's like just one step below but you know what neither of them are a step above matt whoa 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 whoa, whoa. what's that ben hypercube as we head into ben and matt's festival of findings 
Mas forward faster than the passage of time. It's been a Nets Festival of Findings, a celebration of the odd, obscure, underappreciated, and best forgotten video games, movies, and media of yore. I am your host, The Cube Inside a Cube, Ben, and I am joined by my fellow host, The Cube Outside of the Cube. Ooh. It's Matt. Matt, you ready to talk some cubes? Oh, I am. I am cubetacular. I am, I am cubical. I am cuberama, and I am cubed up. All right. Well, let's talk Hypercube, the sequel to Cube. Uh, the original Cube came out in 1997 uh, or 1998 in some other territories. It's a 97 then, release. Then yeah. in 2003... We received the long-awaited sequel, which ruffled more feathers than soothed them. It is Hypercube. Well, Ben, Matt, Ben, you can't you can't give it such a such a calm introduction. Cube two or Cube squared Hypercube, which is my favorite way of them referring to it, uh, is one of the most interesting independent sci-fi horror films to come out of of the era in the early 2000s a completely new production company a completely new writer and director kind of a it clearly a sold off movie property continuing the cube franchise a la the nightmare and elm street franchise where the second one just was given to like a brand new group of people brand new setup and just told to go um the only thing that states that stayed consistent between this film and the last film uh was the special effects group mr x and uh, this this is a really a transformative view from from the first Cube movie. Hypercube is a very successful film in that it does a good job of avoiding answering most of the questions with the first Cube movie, mm-hmm. while also introducing more questions on its own and cre- and creating what feels like should exist in the cubiverse yes while also being out on its own there's a lot to like about hypercube there i was reading briefly about it and it seems like hypercube was not particularly well received oh, no. after the first cube movie which i get to an extent because it's so different yeah but to, to this day cube cubes cube hype the uh, cube two hypercube we're just going to call it hypercube from here on out um hypercube is the worst received of the three um and to to my surprise one of our fans actually found a cube discord and uh when they were going through it it turns out that i guess other fans of the movie do not consider this movie canonical to the entire cube franchise which Um, it is it is is canon every every cube movie except for the remake is canon to the original narrative and if you don't want to accept that you're just denying the reality that is hypercube okay for so for me uh my head canon mm-hmm. is that 2021 cube is canon but all of like the videos and shit you see are just them hallucinating 
Oh, see, I, I, I have, I firmly, if we're gonna, if we're gonna head Canon Cube 2021 into Canon, I think it is what we see is exactly what we get. There's no hallucination, but the cube has finally evolved fully into its divine state. Um, like, cause the first cubes were trying to tap into purgatory, harness the mystical powers of the underworld as being explored by Izon incorporated, which was a theoretical mathematics and physics group developed by a subsidiary of the U S government. Um, who then actually worked for the cabal that is behind the entire new world order. Uh, it, it, it fits into that realm. Cause if the hypercube exists, all of the shit in, in cube 2021 is completely reasonable. Cause cube, yeah, that's cube, fair. cube, except hypercube for the cyborg put it... ninja angel. No, I no, feel like that, that completely, sort of... what they, they make a cube that exists outside of time and reality where gravity, where space, where time don't matter, Ben, they can have an angel who operates a cube of divine purpose. And they they make it work by making even her characterization and the visuals be technological versus actual biblical. She doesn't, like, shine with golden okay, light. you know what? Never mind. This isn't canon anymore. <laughs> no, it's totally canon. It's all canon. I've, I'm, I'm Bray Wyatt committed to this now. Um, all right. And I, I, well, the, the funny thing too is you remember how you asked if there are other cubes in Hypercube? I think there's only like three rooms in Hypercube. And I think, I, what I, I think is that they're repeating through the same room every single time. Uh, but due to the fact yeah, that that's, the cube. That's sort of. Implied in the film so, too, yeah. Okay, so let, so let's talk Hypercube. Let's talk the nitty gritty. Okay. Uh, one of the smartest things they did with this movie is the group of people they chose for this film very closely mirror the group of people that's found in the first Cube movie. And what I love about that is that it, it makes it feel more like a game, like there's a purpose to everything. And that was not established in the first Cube film, but Hypercube... The fact that everyone's together really makes it feel like, okay, well, these but guys... But like, that that's that that notion is completely dependent on the last five minutes of the movie. Up up until um, the main character, Kate, escapes the, escapes the cube, um, there, is no notion, there is no notion at a greater collectiveness. Um, and I, I think a lot of that is all from Ernie... Uh, what's his name? Ernie Barabash... Barabash? Barbarash? Uh, it's... How do you fucking say that guy's last name? Ernie Barbarash. Yeah, Ernie Bar... So, <clears throat> I think I think you're right, Ben. I think what you what you said where this... The the group of people in, in Hypercube provide a lot more cohesiveness, a lot more of a mission, a game. It, and I think the ending of the movie is the thing that solidifies that. Because if you, ha- if you don't have the ending... If she jumps in the pool of water and the movie just ends like the first cube, I think you're left with the same kind of like, well, what the fuck was the point of that? But this movie, unlike in Hypercube, the main character was sitting there fully aware of what the cube was, knowing exactly what she was doing with a particular mission the whole time, Um, which is similar to the second half of Cube Zero. But in in this film, I think they play with that very well. And I think one of the things that I found very interesting about my recent rewatch of, of hypercube is that hypercube does in a sense 
pay reverence to the original intentions of Cube, where yes. everyone in the Cube was supposed to be like an accountant that was part of the corporation that built it, and there was supposed to be a monster that was chasing them. And I think both of those things actually kind of play out in this movie. Um, like, because, like, the since they're all just in like a repeating secular experience, there is no real trap rooms. It's just a matter of when the experience wants to attack these people. And it was, yeah, and it was I all mean, done to suss out who was the, the, no, the hacker. No, there's one trap room, I think. Well, there's traps they experience, but they're kind of all the same room. Yeah. Layer, because every room is trapped and every room isn't trapped because the rooms that aren't trapped can become trapped by the cube and itself it's going after point, them. And it's at this point where the listener realizes that they did not have the same mathematical accuracy in Hypercube as they did in the first cube. But that's not okay. A, well, if not, maybe. <laughs> I Something tells me, you know, the it, it's, it's hard knowing where to start with Hypercube. I, I mean, yeah. the spoiler... Okay, the, well, the we, big, we spoiled the ending. The the big reveal of Hypercube is that all the cubes they're going in and out of are all slowly converging into one cube. Yeah, because it's the Hypercube, as it was created by this mysterious scientific genius that might or might not exist. Well, okay, we're already spoiling it, the movie. She's in the cube. She's the blind Asian girl. And yeah. the old woman was the one who developed the theoretical math behind it. And like this, this movie very much so wants you to believe in the fact that this could happen. Um, and it's what's fascinating to me, scientifically speaking, which I think lends itself a little bit of credit to the film, is that the old woman um, in her like psychotic ramblings makes a point of saying like, it wouldn't survive. It couldn't exist for that long. It's It should stay theoretical. And we see that because the cube itself does begin to collapse in because the Tesseract or the hypercube as a mathematical, as an actual like mathematical theorem could never actually exist. Um, and Alex Trusk, the Asian girl, or as we know her in the movie, uh, Sasha, um, is actually the one who created it. For the one who actually created the mathematic, somehow the computerized mathematical tact tactical world to let it exist. And here's here's my theory, Ben. In Hypercube, none of them are actually physically in the cube. They are psychologically, their minds are projected into the Hypercube reality. Which is why when... I thought, well, yeah, that's why when Kate gets out, she's in a pool of water. I sort of assumed that they were all sort of wi-fi'd in yeah especially because they show them all in like the ziploc bags at the beginning of the movie where in in cube zero and in in the original cube they are physically in the cube this one feels like they're actually just kind of like not even physically in it which is why the trans-dimensional are able to exchange physical goods well i think they as far as they can experience reality they are physically there but their their tactile physical bodies aren't, which is why there's multiple versions of them existing inside the cube at once. The first cube you move. was a formula for death. Unless you cracked the code. 
whose numbers are prime, then the room is trapped. Oh my god. But now. Hello? Anyone here? Terror has a new dimension. So does anyone remember how we got here? of our characters here who who do we have on deck inside the hypercube so in the hypercube we have another intrepid group of performers uh, intrepid group of women we have kate who's a psychologist who is uh, apparently in the cube uh for no reason of her own she's taking the place of the main female uh protagonist of the first movie uh we have simon grady uh who for the life of me i can't remember who what he does in this movie we have max who's a computer hacker and computer technician we have sasha who from what we're able to understand is just a innocent student we have she's the uh uh what's his name the hacker Uh, alex no no alex no alex is the equivalent of um the blue room guy what's his name oh um Man, we're bad cube fans. Uh, it's not Stance. No. Kazan. Kazan. Kazan, yeah. Yeah, so Sasha kind of represents the Kazan character insofar as that she's this very intelligent but mildly disabled character because she's blind. Uh, we have Jerry Whitehall, who kind of is the representative of, of Wash in, from the first movie. Uh, he's like he was directly part of the production and the building he designed the doors just like how walsh designed the casket for it we have julia who's just like a hot person um we have yeah, she's there to be max's romantic just... interest yeah and we have we have colonel thomas h mcguire uh who kind of plays the role of quentin and walsh we're also Jeremy Whitehall, uh, Jerry Whitehall, the character played by Neil Crone, also fills that kind of Walsh role. Uh, and Simon, uh, Simon is like very firmly the uh, the character who represents um, Quentin in this movie, like the violent, overbearing, like male energy. Uh, and then yeah, the and, rest and of the characters of the... in the movie don't matter and, besides and... Mrs. Paley, who is also a a version of pre lobotomy kazan because she's the one of the actual phys uh the uh the mathematicians behind it uh yeah but also one of the important things about the um uh, about the quentin equivalent is that he's brought into the cube with a knife which is very strong storytelling 
because that's really the first i think um it's it's really the first tip of the cap where it's like they're in here for specific well reasons and roles so because quentin could just bludgeon people in the first movie it's mm -hmm. a lot harder to do it in hypercube so what i think and, and this is this is my big theory if you if you want to get into that now, like my big overarching image of the, uh, I mean, this is this is a pretty unfocused discussion. I feel like we can we can get to yeah. it. Yeah. So, so to focus to kind of I don't know I don't know who this is for. If this Hypercube is for people fans. who've seen Hypercube, or if this is for people who haven't seen it but just want to hear about it. I I think this is for everybody. This is this sure. is this is sure. a a podcast for the intrepid horror and and sci-fi fan out there who wants to be a part of the world of cinema. Yeah, um, yeah, you're not selling me on a TV show, champ. It's all right. <laughs> it's like it's like a it's like a podcast and a TV show, but together. Imagine Jaws, but as a podcast, but with with the writing skill of Primer. I, I, I told you, right, that that was the logline for uh, Alien. Yeah. Ridley Scott's Alien. It's Jaws in Space. Which is, I mean, for the first for the first Alien movie, it's pretty on point. It is. It is. Um, but so in... And so, so just to give a little recap of the plot here, these people all wake up, no memories, sort of, even though they all kind of remember it. Uniquely in this movie, each of them has an idea of who they are and what they did. More so than in the first movie. And they all have some amount of objects or, or connection to the outside world. They begin to explore the cube like normal, trying to figure out how to get out. They figure out they're in a transcendental hypercube that exceeds reality. Um, and they're all, unlike in the last movie, directly connected to Aizen. Each of these people has the ability and has a direct relation to this cube being built or something around it. And they're all working together uh, to try to escape. But it turns out as the movie progresses uh, that Kate is actually in there just to try to find out which one of them is Alex, the guy who invented the cube. Uh, and we learn that uh, Al this this character Alex, who's this like hacker, who's like a huge terrorist. He like collapsed like thirty, like made like twenty two airplanes crash. Um, but after having opened the cube, realized that Izon was chasing them, and she was persuaded to f to flee into the only place where they wouldn't follow, which was the Tesseract herself. So Izon hired a woman named Kate to go in and find her. And for some reason, they also threw in all the people who helped build it, I guess, to create the uh, connection that makes a good movie. Uh, and she manages to get a object from from Sasha, which I guess is like the we don't actually get an explanation of what it is. It's I guess the is the Tesseract itself on a flash drive. Um, and then it collapses down and she escapes with the item and the eyes on authority say phase two is terminated at the end of the film so yeah because they shoot her too yeah they shoot they shoot kate because kate kate escapes she brings out the uh something that uh sasha slash the alex character created uh and it allows her to kind of do something so eyes on shoots yeah, what, her i so what i thought that was was some sort of formula she had to uh 
to be able to stabilize the hypercube. I agree. Yeah, it was it uh, to me it is the hypercube itself. I think But al- but also something that's that, that I think doesn't really go stated enough and probably mm. one of the biggest holes in this movie unless you can fix this for me. Yep, I'm here for it. Is that if the whole purpose of this was for Kate to go in there, yep. rip off her necklace and give it to them. They already kidnapped her. Oh, but I don't think they did. They don't show her being kidnapped at the beginning of the movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she's she the says only. That... She's one of the only ones that isn't brought into the cube. And Izon didn't know. So the reason Kate was put in there is because Izon didn't know which one of them was um, was Alex. They thought she was just a person that was put in there, but she put herself in there. And so then they had to take all these all these random people who worked on it because any of them could be her, uh, or him, or them, and put them well, but all they in the cube. Know about all the backgrounds for those people, right? But they had to make sure because this movie isn't perfectly well written. I, I I think what makes more sense is that she sort of plugged herself into it because she'd be able to. Yeah. And then when they see an extra person in there, they're like, hey, you go in there and, and get her. deal with this. Well, yeah, because the character Alex finds out that Izon is putting people into the cube and into the Tesseract. And that's why she goes to stop it. Right. Because, because the Alex was Trusk one of their trial runs. Yeah. We find out. Because Alex Trusk is one of the characters, as a character, is like a domestic terrorist who is right. trying, or like a freedom fighter, how they portray her who's trying to take down Izon and what is clearly a world outside the cube that is much as much more hyper controlled than ours. It's a it, this this cube exists in a world where all the conspiracy of the new world order is actually real. And this person Alex Trusk is like the only actual opponent of Izon because she directly works for them. Great. Awesome. Okay. We saved it. We saved it. Yep. Now, you know, Close the plot call of there. the movie 33 minutes in, um, you now understand. Yeah. Cause yeah. And Alex even claims that, uh, they are all dead, which implies that they're already all dead inside the cube. Uh, because in order to get, I think in order to get into the hypercube, you kind of die. Oh, you... and because she knows that the cube's going to fold into itself yeah. and destroy itself, of course she's going to bring in wh- whatever information they needed. To, okay, and they because... needed all the people there to help. Because I think entering the cube itself, unless you were Alex Trusk who put themselves into the cube, um, <clears throat> it... No, no, it... no. I, I, I don't think it's that. I think what it is is that... Alex Trusk went in as a suicide mission with the key data they needed with the idea to destroy it with herself and the rest of the cube. Yeah, because she knew it would destabilize. And if that information got destroyed with the cube, they'd never be able to get it back. Right. And she got so close. She did. But they sent Aizan sent in an agent, which kind of detracts from the overall kind of chaos of the first movie. Um but I think I think opens up the world into a much more nefarious uh, inclination, which we see followed up on in, in Cube Zero. And I think it also helps. Um, I I think it also continues the vibe of the first movie in a good but different way. Like this is a horizontal sequel. 
Yes. It doesn't really build off the first movie, but it's like a different interpretation of it in yeah. a way. And the and the and al- the alternate ending I think does a bit to add to that, which I think is was intelligently not put in the movie. Because in that alternate ending, which I believe is canon, because um, Aizan edited the movie, um, is that the government is actually the one overseeing the whole thing. They're doing it for experimentation, I guess, with space-time. And they actually say that she is the first operative to make it out alive. So it's implied that, like Quentin in the first movie, or like the uh, Quentin replacement in Cube Zero they put people from their organization into the cubes to do certain things. And usually they fail because she's the first person to ever make it out. Either she's the first person to ever make it out of a hypercube because each time they make one, it can only live for so long or out of the hundreds of times the cube has been run. She's the first operative who've actually survived the group. I I think that's what they're saying. Yeah, which is weird. It, it, it was an experience. It's like a quantum teleportation experiment. And she's the first one to survive it. Um, and and, and this, this conversation has, has been as applied to as a little nebulous. Because unlike the first Cube movie, there's almost nothing known about the production of this film. There's very, very little information about it. The director, Andres Sukola, uh, has done... Not very much else, but I think this is now the time where we can reveal something very interesting, Ben. Um, Andre Sekula, the director of this film, is not normally a director. He's only directed five uh, five films, and none of them are anything of note. But he was the cinematographer for Pulp Fiction, the cinematographer for American Psycho, and the cinematographer Reservoir Dogs. So I was wondering because while we were while we were watching the movie, I was surprised because the cinematography in it is really yeah. good. I, I mean, when it first opens on Kate in the movie, it shows her looking sideways, mm-hmm. li- like she's on on a gurney or whatever. And then she walks forward. It's a really small sort of transition between scenes, but it requires a lot of forethought and just the ability for them. And and what's an even more complicated cube setup than cube one, they're able to really keep everything energetic and different and, you know, multi-dimensional. Yeah. And and it's it's funny because the movie is, filmed like the set production is the exact same as the uh first movie where there's a single set consisting of identical panels and walls and floors and that that in this one can be replaced with green screens and unlike in the last movie uh they actually didn't make it incredibly complicated and expensive by just having it all be stark watt the whole time white the whole time so all they ever needed to do was add in like an extra wall here or there and a green screen. Ex- Which also I feel like shifts the focus in this movie from a movie about people working together to more of an okay, this is an experiment, like a lab rat mm-hmm. type thing. Which I which I think helps, you know, propel the thrust of the movie forward and also sort of key it off in a slightly different direction. Yeah. I think it does and I think 
this this is a this movie was clearly written or rewritten um by someone who wanted those questions answered when they watched the first cube movie I think part of the reason that some people might not consider this and Cube Zero to be canon is because they genuinely, to an extent, kind of feel like fan fiction. Um, where someone watched it and went, man, I wish this is the world that exists around the Cube. And since the studio owned the rights, they went, sure. The only difference between fan fiction and reality is budget and rights. And this movie had both. Um, That's right. And I, my favorite, one of my favorite facts about this movie is that it actually did really well. They never released the budget for this film, but it did have a three point five million dollar box office. And the first movie was made for three hundred fifty thousand dollars. So this one might have might have brought in some big money for Lionsgate when it comes to how cheap it probably was to make. And honestly, given how the movie was put together it was rewritten in about a week and a half yes so like considering what we got i'd say that's pretty damn yeah, good work. and it was rewritten by the a producer of the film who then went on to write and direct the next film in the series that's right he he wasn't gonna let anyone else touch his baby from that no. point and then and then but after I, cube zero it died looking at the legacy of hypercube i think hypercube in many ways sort of feels like the worst movie in the trilogy but it also feels like the best it's in the, other ways it is the worst it's the worst film of the three originals but it's also one of the most fun yeah. it's definitely more fun than cube zero i mean they've they have interdimensional sex in this one and then they age into eternity and turn into ghosts yeah they sex each other to death which is rad they really it's really right it really the only reason this movie works is it doesn't do the slasher thing so in slasher movies when you have a sequel the kills either get more intense or more creative this one changed the tools which with kills were done it it yeah. does what um nightmare on elm street one and nightmare on elm street three do where the dichotomy of how you engage with the mechanism of death has changed to such a degree that it feels fresh and new, which which can, in like a in a series like Friday the Thirteenth, every one of those movies up until the last like three, it's just a dude killing people with stuff, like or in in the Nightmare on Elm Street world, it's a guy who kills you in your dreams, and that's the plot of the whole movie. And they very they play with it a little bit at the end where they pull him into reality, but in the in uh dream warriors they they add in the thing where you can intentionally enter the dream realm and you can tactically affect the universe which really kind of changes the the flavor of the kills and in this one instead of it being like a trap it becomes this like quantum mathematic very much extra layer of sci-fi that we don't feel from cube uh the first cube or cube zero which are very grounded gritty industrial movies this is purely yeah, like, technical. Like, like this movie doesn't have as great a sense of the passage of time as the first movie. But because time what it doesn't does exist, have baby. is a guy who cannibalizes Another. this dude five times over because he keeps showing up because they're in a hypercube. 
beautiful. He ends the movie with like six watches on because he's eaten them six times. Yeah, and he just yeah, because he and and that actually really displays the hunger of the first movie, which is never really done. And in the first movie, they joke about eating somebody. So Ernie clearly fucking loved Cube, and was like, I bet they do actually eat people in this movie. And so he made someone get eaten. And so it was. And Matt, so it is. Hypercube is a great movie. If you guys have a chance to watch Hypercube, I recommend you do. It's, I, it's I, worth it. There's there, there there are bits we didn't touch on in here. I mean, the actual flow of logic in the movie is pretty good. My I, my only real criticism of this movie is from the beginning you're like everyone here is going to die and there's no real sense of hope for them. No. And even though one of them gets out, there's really not a great sense of okay, like how is anyone supposed to get out of this? Whereas I, I mean one of them does, but it doesn't feel like there's any sense of hope to it. You're still no. interested, but on a on a pathos level. And there isn't the same kind of claustrophobic headiness of the first movie. Yeah. Uh, which is recreated in the third but that kind of like inescapable you're in a trap kind of mental state is not there in this movie which does uh, well yeah but this is more of a you're in a maze yes but i feel like you don't feel as trapped uh this one doesn't no, make me uh... the, the characters do but i don't like as a viewer i'm not like whoa like there's there's just this movie's just inevitable it's not as overbearing not at all which i, I think, think this... that's what you're looking for it's not as overbearing cuz you're still trapped but it doesn't it's not as dour and and looming and yeah. overwhelming over you and the claustrophobia but i also doesn't feel, feel like as for an but also for a time cube i feel like that sort of makes sense and works to its strengths yeah, and I think the actors are, like, genuinely a little bit more experienced in this movie. So, like, there is a little bit more believability behind what's happening to these people. Yeah. Like, Who was the cinematographer, again, for this movie? The, Before we sign out, I want to give him a shout-out. It out. was the director, uh, uh, Andre Sukowski, who's the uh, cinematographer for Reservoir Dogs. Um Pulp Fiction and American Psycho. Well, Andre, all things considered, You're... this is your most timeless movie. Yep. <laughs> yep. What an it's insult. a good one. This has been Hypercube. If you want to be our biggest fan, like our big dog Brennan, yes. oh, I use do... the code Hypercube Squared. I, I, I do want to address the biggest fan thing real quick. I think we should have hit it up top, but uh Okay. Now's it now's an important time to hit it. So Brennan and Mason both provided the elevated code word. Oh, no. But but Brennan got there two hours earlier. On the same so, day at 3.30, okay, but, Brennan but say, sent but see, me the here's message. The question. Here's the question. Yes. Is that because he said it does that mean he wins for the week or because mason said it after does he usurp him i i believe that brennan getting there first gives him the credit for this week followed up by the fact that he did also bribe me by uh being willing to send me a magazine okay yeah uh, that's so fair. He, he, All right. he committed this week he got there one he got there first because now he is he's ready to compete with mason he wants to be the first one to get there. 
So that means Mason, when this episode comes out on Thursday, you need to listen. I hope you're listening right now, and I hope it's early, and I hope you hit us with the code, because our boy Brennan, he got there first this week. You had All a chance. Right, Mason, you put in the effort, and shout out to Mason else, for trying at least. You know what you have to do, and until next time, maybe Mason, you'll get it. When the fourth time's the charm, good night and good morning. Hashtag fourth time's the charm.